0: This is Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts. Jason Floyd of the MMA Report, and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan.
1: Conor McGregor has been fined $150,000 for the bottle-throwing incident at the UFC 202 press conference. Greg Hardy wants to be an MMA fighter, and Jose Aldo, is he going to fight again? Who knows? Welcome into the MMA Insiders Podcast. Of course, I'm Jason Floyd. As always... Joined by Sam Cap Sam, how's it going, man? It's going well. It's good to be back. And you hit the nail on the head,
2: Jason. When right after Conor McGregor said he would abide by any punishment handed down by the commission, you said it. You tweeted it out right away. I saw it on my timeline. That that's a mistake.
1: Yeah, I was uh, you know in my hotel room in Charlotte on Monday afternoon listening to that conference call, and right when he said that, I was like. Oh, that is the biggest mistake he just made. And uh, we're going to get into all of that. Also, we'll squeeze in some uh, comments and questions that were submitted uh, on social media about things going on. Of course, the last episode of the podcast, Paul filled in for Sam. And I really appreciate Paul coming on the podcast. And, Sam, I'll tell you that the thing that really stuck, there were two things that stuck out to me what he said. First of all, right at the beginning of that podcast, letting everyone know that Darian Caldwell has moved his training to Alliance MMA. But also, I appreciate how open and honest Paul was about sponsorship pay. And one of the more interesting things I thought he said was the fact of the difficulty there is right now for fighters on that World Series of Fighting card on November twelfth, of course, same day as UFC two hundred and five. In terms of getting sponsor pay, and, and obviously we, we know how much sponsor pay is a, a big narrative in the business world of MMA. I, I just really appreciate Paul and just how open and honest he was about that situation. I think
2: based on what we've heard from UFC fighters, Bellator fighters, and now World Series of Fighting, uh, World Series of Fighting fighter. All in regards to sponsorship, I think we can pronounce fighter sponsorship as dead. Yeah, you know it had its heyday, it's had its run. It was once a very nice revenue stream for fighters, but it's gone, and I don't think it's ever coming back.
1: And of course, uh, you do want to make sure that you're subscribing to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. We really appreciate anyone. Uh, that puts in a a rating and a review on iTunes. Really appreciate everyone that does that. We get a lot of five-star ratings. so I really appreciate it. And let let your uh, friends know that that you listen to this show as we look to grow this show uh, each and every week. But obviously Sam, the the biggest news topic uh, in in MMA is what happened on Monday at the Nevada State Athletic Commission hearing. Uh, One of the notes that I think really isn't getting uh, talked about a lot from that meeting, of course we're going to talk a little bit here about Conor McGregor, is John Jones was on the agenda. He was requesting a continuance of his disciplinary complaint. That was filed back in September about, of course, uh, his drug test uh, failure with USADA, uh, prior to UFC 200, and, and Pat Lundvall, who obviously we'll get into here in a little bit, she is, Ugh. she has her issues that basically, why are we waiting for USADA to handle their thing? And I'm sitting there going, she doesn't, hey, Jason, she doesn't have her issues, she has issues. But, but here's the thing, and I was talking to somebody today about this in the industry. It wasn't a Nevada Athletic Commission drug test. It's a USADA drug test, yeah. so it is their responsibility to hand down their punishment first before Nevada can even have their opportunity. I'm sitting there going, does she not? I, I really wonder, does she not realize that was not a drug test that was done by the Nevada Athletic Commission?
2: I think she needs to be drug tested. Can we order that? Can we start a petition and have her drug tested? Because just the, the antics... And the behavior at, at these hearings, she makes makes an ass out of herself. She makes an ass out of the commission, really dragging down the cre- credibility of the Nevada Athletic Commission. And the crazy thing to me – you know, I still haven't figured out exactly what happened because, according to the reports I read, you could correct me if I'm wrong, Jason. But didn't the Nevada Attorney General general his, the recommended punishment for Conner McGregor,
1: wasn't it twenty five thousand dollars plus fifty community fifty hours of community service? It was twenty five thousand dollar fine, twenty five hours of community service, and probably the most hilarious part of what the Attorney General recommended, Sam media training for Conor McGregor
2: but but Jason how the hell the the Nevada attorney general recommends a penalty how the hell do we go from 25,000 all the way up to 150,000 was it because he he they, his side recommended the the PSA Yeah, I mean,
1: I I actually, I liked how Connor's camp and Connor himself went about this. They were like, look, you know, we want to do an anti-bullying campaign Uh, in in Nevada. Jason,
2: in in hindsight, that was a bad move. Yeah,
1: in in hindsight, well, I mean, there's a couple of bad moves they made there. I I really, if I was Conor McGregor and I was his management team, Paradigm Sports Management, uh, they had their their internal counsel that was representing Connor on Monday afternoon or Monday morning. In Nevada, uh, first off, my my first call would have been to Lucas Middlebrook because we know it what he has done. Anyone who follows Lucas on Twitter, you can see that he has been tweeting about this whole situation. Uh, you know, as we're recording the show, we're probably you know thirty hours since that hearing took place. He has been tweeting about it, but you know, you mentioned it a little earlier the big mistake that Connor made was the fact that. Uh, and by the way, how do you uh, you know swear somebody in under oath when he's on the phone? <laughs> How do you know he raised his right hand? You, uh, it's Skype. He wasn't on Skype. He was on his phone. I, which, it, here's the kind of, I, I chuckled when I was, I dialed in, usually I dial into these, uh, these, uh, hearings about, you know, five, ten minutes before they're about to start. And so I, I dial into this hearing and then, they don't have it muted, and you hear Connor McGregor's already on the line. My first thought is, wow, Connor can show up time to a uh, a commission <laughs> hearing, but boy, he can't show up on time to a press conference, yeah. which was something that was uh, mentioned during this hearing. Which I, which, first off, Connor McGregor doesn't need new do media training. Connor McGregor should be the teacher of media training because there's no one better in, in MMA in terms of, of how they handle media. But, uh, you know, kind of, for anyone who did not, listen or watch this hearing, the way it broke down is the attorney general speaks. He presents the case for the state to the commissioners of the Nevada athletic commission. Then McGregor's camp was able to give their side. So, and then after that, they, they turned to Connor McGregor on the phone and the big mistake he makes is saying that he will accept any punishment. And then, of course, Pat Lumvall decides that she thinks $25,000 is not enough of a fine and decides that she wants to go for either 5% of, her, of Connor's purse, which, by the way, his show purse was $3 million, or 10% of his purse, which would have been $300,000. <laughs> and it was kind of comical saying that she's literally referring to a, a can of monster energy as a two-pound weight. Um, but, but, you know, and I, <laughs> there, there's criminals that get, that get harsher penalties. I mean, okay. If Conor McGregor, that, that,
2: sorry, he got a harder, harsher penalty than criminals for committing criminal act yeah. actions. What's,
1: what's going to happen when Nate Diaz comes up there, uh, most likely next month for his hearing and the fact of, okay, his show purse was $2 million, but his team was the one who started this incident.
2: Well, I think now that Connor's gone first, they will have a much they have time now to formulate some kind of defense. They they know what's coming now. I think Connor is probably completely blindsided because when the attorney general recommends a punishment, you know, I guess they got greedy, you know, and then decided, well, we'll make some recommendations here, see if we can get it down even lower. We'll do a PSA. And I think once they put that PSA idea out there. Lundval just ran with that. And based on the, the tweets that I read, she basically used that as the vehicle to say, well, you know, you want to do this PSA. We, we need more money then. And we don't have it. So you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, and, and she, and... Used, she used that. She was looking for an opening and they gave it to her. Whereas if they had just come in, got on the phone and said, you know what? We, we agree with the attorney general. We're going we we, we will we'll, we'll commit to that, that penalty, that fine. They would have been better off. So I think, you know, Nate Diaz, knowing what, what's lying ahead, they can, they can get on the phone and reject that notion from day one. And Nate probably should go there in person, to be honest with you.
1: Sam, it's like I sent you a message on Monday. Abuse of power. Oh, And, 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 and let's, let's make this clear. The Nevada State Athletic Commission hearing, it's not a court of law. This is an administrative hearing, and I I really wonder if Pat Lunvall and Francisco Aguilar and Anthony Mar- Marnell – of course, Marnell is a chairman. Francisco Aguilar uh, was a chairman. Now he, he's just a commissioner. You could tell they were not comfortable at all with what Pat Lundvall wanted to do, even though they ended up uh, you know, approving what she wanted to do. I wonder if part of their thought process is with – the UFC essentially is no longer a Nevada company. I mean, they're a California-based company at this point with WME. Are they wondering, going, is she now potentially losing the biggest MMA star who has brought millions of dollars to that Las Vegas market? And all of a sudden, and and I tweeted this, if I was Conor McGregor and his management, even though I think his tweet was absolutely hilarious after the fact, if I was Conor McGregor in his management, I would say, you know what? I'm done fighting Nevada. I want to fight in New York City every time from now on. And
2: that, and that's what I tweeted out, that recommendation, because you look at Floyd Mayweather, and Floyd Mayweather committed several infractions over the years, but because he represented so much revenue for the state of Nevada, they always treated him with kid gloves. And I don't know what's going on. I guess maybe there's a bias towards boxing because Floyd Mayweather is retired. He may do another fight. Maybe he does two fights. But the old Floyd Mayweather, the big cash cow, the big money train, that's not going to be rolling anytime soon. Conor McGregor is the new Floyd Mayweather. Is he generating as much revenue as Mayweather? No, but he's the number one revenue generator as far as combat sports in Nevada. And if you're Conor McGregor, you've got to use your power here. You've got to use your leverage. You've got to throw your weight around. Do not accept this fine. Do not accept this miscarriage of justice. And just come out and say – I've been wronged here. I've been screwed. Until this situation gets righted, you will not see me fight Nevada. I'm going to take my fights and the revenue that my fights generate, I'm taking it to New York. I'm taking it to California. I'm taking it to Europe. I'm taking it everywhere but Nevada.
1: You know, we got this question on social media uh, to our our show Twitter account, which is at MMA Insiders PC. This comes from Alex Deward. He said, if McGregor refuses to pay the Nevada Athletic Commission fine and bypasses Las Vegas for all future fights – can Nevada Athletic Commission enforce the payment somehow? Um, and I, I'm not positive about this, Sam. I, I'd have to ask some people in the, in the regulatory side of this. But I think pretty much if that was the case, they would literally have to start filing legal paperwork to, to get that, that fine.
2: Right. I mean, the answer to that question is yes and no as far as whether or not Nevada can block him from fighting at 205. In most situations, yes, they could block him. The ABC is a loose affiliation. They, they It's a bunch of different bodies that are separate entities that agree to – work together, but there's no hard and fast rule that says if you're suspended in California, you can't fight in New Jersey. If you're suspended in California, chances are that Nick Lembo is going to show enough respect to Andy Foster that he's not going to allow that fighter who's on the national suspension list to compete in New Jersey. But if Nick Lembo thought something, if he didn't agree with the situation, if he thought a fighter was uh, unjustly suspended or it was from another commission that he didn't take serious. There's nothing to stop that fighter from competing in New Jersey. If you're suspended in Florida, you can't fight in Florida. Typically, that suspension is going to be honored everywhere, but it doesn't mean it has to be. It's not a hard and fast rule. So, New York, I would say, with about the amount of revenue that's on the line there, and the amount of attention that 205 is going to get, I don't think you know. Plus, it's it's a new commission for for New York. It's a new MMA commission. It's still not completely 100 uh, percent formed. I don't see them honoring that suspension from Nevada. So if Conor McGregor decides not to pay the fine, I still think that there's not going to be any issues for, for him fighting, you know, with regard to him fighting at UFC 205. What's more likely to happen is from a legal perspective, they'll probably cover their bases. They'll probably file an appeal, and that appeal will probably keep him off a national suspension list until his situation, until he has his day in court.
1: By the way, one of the interesting things about uh, this uh, meeting on Monday is that on the um, paperwork that Connor put in front of the commission for UFC 202, his primary address is Irvine, California. Did not list it as Ireland, and uh, it comes out that he is uh, in the process apparently of buying some property either in California or Nevada, which uh, interesting to kind of see does you know pretty much does his team kind of move uh, here to the United States, and, and I gotta imagine if he's doing all of his training in Ireland, he would definitely probably prefer to fight you know say on the East Coast as a, as opposed to to flying out. Uh, you know, to say to to Las Vegas, I mean, you know, you know, for me, I know here in Tampa, for me to fly nonstop to Las Vegas is a four hour flight. I can only imagine how far it is uh, from from Ireland. But you know, I, I was you know in, in, talking about a little bit about WME here, and and I do wonder if they're going to step in here. Do they kind of almost start sitting there going, okay? Do they feel that does Ari Emanuel, Patrick Whitesell, look at this situation and go, okay, we don't like what's going on with Nevada. We don't like how this is being treated to our fighters. And now do does this does this become a ripple effect where maybe they start pulling cars from Las Vegas, and that's a way to kind of, in in their own way, penalize Nevada for what they're doing?
2: Well, I think the move here is to get Mark Ratner to get some of the commissioners on the phone, maybe even leverage Lorenzo Fertitta and his influence in the state of Nevada, you know Lorenzo Fertita no longer a majority owner in the company, but from what I understand, he still has a small piece. So they have him there as a consultant. This would be a great time to use him and try to lean on them to to do something. But the Nevada Athletic Commission has become a joke. It, it once was a a, a gold standard. Uh, over the years, their reputation has kind of been tarnished. And it's kind of interesting that so many people once criticized Keith Kaiser, and I think you and I Jason both had said on the show together that we thought that Keith did a pretty good job under the under the existing circumstances when your major revenue producer is the u f c and the, the the amount that your commission generates so much of it comes from one company. I thought he played the, I thought he played the game pretty well, you know yeah. he and Now that you know, but everyone wasn't happy with Keith. Keith, you know, is no longer in charge there, and what we have now is a total debacle.
1: Well, the problem with the Nevada Athletic Commission, and this goes back a couple years, is you know, for and you obviously you have dealt with commissions all over uh, the United States majority of commissions, the executive director is the one who runs that commission. That is not the case with Nevada. And, and this goes back a couple of years. When they did their ban on TRT, it was very clear, because that was when there was not an executive director. They were in the hiring process at that point. It was clear that the commissioners run that commission. And if I'm Bob Bennett, I'm sitting there going... You almost have to go, I'm sure if you're Bob Bennett, I think you had to make the phone call uh, at some point since that meeting has concluded, whether it's to uh, Dana White or maybe it's even to Paradigm Sports Management to kind of see what's going on there. Because if you were to, you know, hypothetically lose Conor McGregor, who says he just doesn't give a phone call to the governor and say, you know, these people you appoint to the commission, they've just cost this state a lot of money.
2: Well, all he has to do is issue a press release, and then the UFC is going to start to put pressure. I mean, mean, honestly, Conor McGregor, if he wanted to, he could probably bust up that commission pretty quickly.
1: Oh, easily, easily. You know, and it's – but then, of course, you think about that whole whole situation at that pre-fight press conference. How much more money from a tax revenue aspect did that potentially bring into the Nevada for that card?
2: Oh, it's—I mean—ridiculous amounts, and and now that Mayweather isn't there, like we said, Jason, Conor McGregor's your number one cash cow. He's the money train. How, why they did this to him is beyond—it's beyond comprehension. Abuse of power. Yeah. I, to me, that's—that is Pat has got to go. She, she's she's yeah. she's a joke. What what's I don't know anything. About, what are her what are her credentials? What gives her? The credibility and the pedigree to serve on an athletic commission for a combat sport. What what are her qualifications? I've I've to never be a heard.
1: I've never heard exactly. Though what does no. she
2: do? What does she do for a living? What what has she done?
1: I, I know that she is appointed by the governor. People have pointed out that uh, she is a donor to the governor, so oh, that probably oh, has something to do with okay. it as well. But you know, clearly, I mean, oh. I, I just. But the problem is, is. You, you, you can look at Pat Lumville, no question, targets on her, but you got to look at those other commissioners as well because they could have easily voted down what she motioned, but when they did it
2: because I was reading the tweets so when she put that up. I started laughing, I go, you know, that's not going to happen, and then you started writing, oh, so and so is voted, you know, second to the motion, and and uh, motion has been passed. I am like, what? It just. It's, uh, it's a it, it was it's a, a joke. G- yeah, it's a joke.
1: It's a, yeah, complete joke. It's one of those things of you, it, you can't help but if you are a manager or a fighter and you think that your client could potentially find himself in this type of scenario – why do you fight Nevada? And look, I give credit to Conor McGregor. He, he you know, he came in there apologetic, said, "Hey, I, it was not the way a world champion should act." You know, along those lines. But man, it, it's it's something I'm very interested to see how all this unfolds and if we ever see Conor McGregor fight in Las Vegas again. Because that we talk about leverage in contract negotiations. That is Conor McGregor's biggest leverage in this entire situation.
2: And he did issue one tweet right after, but I think he's been very silent since that point. And I think it's probably because his team, they're huddling right now. And they're formulating some kind of strategy.
1: Oh yeah, no no question about it. Uh, you know, so of course that was the big news on Monday, and then Sam, uh, I got back to Tampa, you know, really late or early Tuesday morning, however you want to look at it. Uh, and so I get up on Tuesday morning, and I you know just like probably most people, you, you look at your phone, you you see what text message, what not, what notifications, and I get the notification that Greg Hardy wants Ugh. to be an MMA fighter. And, you know, there, there's so much we can could, we could talk about it, but I think the tweet that's got to get mentioned is what Jay, Jay Glazer, Glazer, and for anyone who's not seen it, this is what Jay Glazer tweeted, and this is what he wrote. I would be incredibly disappointed in any of my fellow MMA coaches and any promoters if they took Greg Hardy in and taught him a shred of our incredible sport. Many of us train women in self-defense self, de- self defense, specifically to help protect versus domestic violence. Me and my coaches at Unbreakable do that and take great pride in that. Competing in any sport is a privilege. Greg Hardy should not be granted the privilege. There are many beautiful arts taught in our sport, none of which should be afforded to him. And That was Jay Glazer on Twitter on Tuesday, and I, Sam, I don't know why a MMA promotion would want to bring in Greg Hardy. I don't know either. I, I tell you, the Dallas Cowboys, who was the last team he played for, they they uh, played here in Tampa last year. And every time he was on the field, it, it was booing. And, and I remember when he was signed, a lot of people were like, why are you bringing this guy in? I, I just... I would lose a lot of respect for any promoter that would bring him in. He, he's a bad,
2: bad guy, and if I was a promoter of a major international organization, you know, I would, I would actually I'll go off the record and I, right before my next event, I would tell a reporter, ask me about Greg Hardy, just so I would have the opportunity to say that Greg Hardy will never compete in my promotion. End of story. You know, if if I was Scott Coker, if I was Dana White, I would just come out and say, we don't even don't even talk to me about Greg Hardy. He's not. It's because Jay Glazer put it best. I mean, that's a very apt way to put it. You don't teach someone who has abused women physically and assaulted them how to. You don't teach them more techniques that they can use to be even more dangerous. He's already a world-class professional athlete. If he has trained martial arts knowledge, he could kill someone with his bare hands. You, you, You know, I mean, he definitely could kill a woman with his bare hands. There's no reason to teach him the sport of MMA. Jay Glazer is a hundred percent right.
1: When you, were, you, were you like me when you first saw this story? Was there something that came to your mind?
2: Yeah, Bellator.
1: Oh yeah, it, it was the first thing I was like, uh, oh uh, man, uh, Bellator's. And 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 look, and maybe that's not fair to Bellator. Maybe it's not. However, uh, we we've seen some of the fights <laughs> they put on. So you know, it's like we got this uh, this question uh, on Twitter. Uh, from uh, at MMA underscore nostalgia 47 goes, do do you think we will see guys like Ryback or Sean Merriman fight in Bellator or will a fallout from Kimbo Dada prevent that? I I really hope Bellator is not going that route. I actually, look, uh, I know we can be accused of being maybe a little too harsh on Bellator at times, but I think Bellator, the fight cards they have been putting together uh, as of late, are really good. I, I think they're doing a, an excellent job of putting together quality main card that's going to get you to stay home on a Friday night or, or go out to your local sports bar and say, hey, turn on Spike. I, I want to watch the fights. And, and I think they've done a good job with their, their online preliminary cards of giving you a reason to tune into the dot-com pre but also putting a couple of fights on there that are clearly to draw in people uh, in those venues, the, uh, they've got Shulmanko and Kendall Grove coming up, which, by the way, uh, Alexander Shulmanko was drug tested out of competition last week, uh, along with Andre Koreshkov. Both of those drug tests did come back clean. Uh, so there is uh, some out of competition drug testing that's now starting to take place uh, in Bellator, uh, per Mike Mizzoui, who is handling that for Bellator. Uh, you look at that November 4th card, Lee McGarry, Phil Davis, uh, great preliminary card. Uh, we're also going to see the MMA debuts of Tyrell Fortune and Ruth on that card. Uh, I, I think Bellator's doing a great job, but you know, we, we talk with Bellator about you, you, there's times where you say, oh, man, they're taking three steps forward. You go out and you sign Greg Hardy, that's like a million steps backwards to me.
2: At the end of the day, I don't think it has a shot to happen because you have to remember Bellator is owned by Viacom. Viacom's a major massive corporation. I don't think they're going to be associated with a piece of trash like Greg Hardy. I don't think they want that kind of press. I just don't think they want to be in that business. And I remember when I was part of Fightmaster, when I was part of the casting team, you know, it was laid out for us because they did extensive background checks on all of the fighters and they knew that I had the most knowledge about the fighters and you know, I said, "What, you know, what's The criteria here. What is going to be acceptable and what isn't going to be acceptable. And they pretty much said murder, you know, if if somebody has murdered someone, not acceptable. If someone is uh, committed any kind of assault against a cop, not acceptable. That's a a non-starter. And if anyone has ever been convicted of any type of violence against women, non-starter, they're out. We're not even going to talk about them. So they said anything else would be up for discussion on a case-by-case basis. But they said in those three instances, don't even bring them up. And if you know, if you know that they've been in those types of situations, let us know, and they'll automatically be gone. So that, that, I think that came from upstairs. Uh, it's a great policy to have, and I think it's a policy that probably is carried over to just Bellator in general, not just Fightmaster and their casting of reality shows. So I don't think, even if, even if somebody within Bellator thought it was a good idea, I don't think it would ever get past the, the corporate level.
1: Thoughts on Ryback? I, I know you've had a That's fine.
2: That. That's fair game. That's fair game. You know, if he wants to do it, if he wants to train, and they, they do a, a decent matchup, that's fine. If, if the UFC can do CM Punk, why can't Bellator go with Ryback?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know. But I, I guess my question, and look, I'm not a, a professional wrestling fan. I mean, um, I may, if I'm flipping through, I see it on, and, and there's someone that I know lives here locally in Tampa that maybe Um, You know, I see him around town. Maybe I'll I'll watch it for a little bit. But I just, you know, obviously you're bringing Ryback for television ratings. No no question. But is Ryback that type of professional wrestler that can bring in a new fan base to Bellator? He's
2: not the level of superstar that CM Punk was. But you're not asking Ryback to sell pay-per-views. You're just asking him to go on TV and get a rating for you on basically not necessarily free TV, but basic cable TV. So I think in that regard, he
1: definitely could be a needle mover for them. By the way, I think we're going to see CM Punk back in the, in the UFC cage. You, you, you said you think or you don't think? Oh, I think, think I think we are. I think we're going to see CM Punk Mike Jackson.
2: <sighs> it's, that's that's going to be a new low. It, it's, I, I, and I don't know. I, I, look, I don't know if
1: CM Punk can beat Mike Jackson. It's a matchup that should have been made from the start.
2: Well, I mean, Mike Jackson's a reporter.
1: Yeah, but he does have. He has taken amateur fights in, in the past. It, it wasn't like he never fought before. He had, but uh, is it
2: worth the extra four to five million that CM Punk will j- generate to devalue your brand like that?
1: But when you you, you just sold for four billion dollars, I
2: gotta I gotta make that money back. You could make that money back in other ways. You don't have to. I mean, four to five million to me to besmirch your own brand identity to. Denigrate the level of caliber fighter that is allowed to grace your cage to do that for only four to five million when you're making as much as the UFC does. I, I don't get it.
1: I, I I just think it's going to happen. And it seems like Dana White's kind of opening that window. Of course, Dana White. I think uh, it's a
2: defensive move. I don't think it's about the money at this point. I think they don't want him to compete for Bellator yeah, on Spike TV. Yeah.
1: But By the way, can Dana White just stop this this campaign against George St. Pierre? D- Dana, just call what it is. It's a negotiation tactic of what he's doing. Like I, stop. Well,
2: I think it's WME saying, hey, we don't like CAA. We you know we don't want George St Pierre to be with our top rival. We actually want to re- represent George St Pierre. Go on, go into attack mode.
1: Yeah, it's just it's so bad listening. Every time you see Dana White, and and, and we know what's really going on there. But at ten millions a lot, Jason. But I think George St Pierre is worth it. I do too. I you definitely. Know, if, if look, if he came back and said,
2: "Yeah, I want to fight," you know, another six to eight times, and I want to make you know start out at ten million. And I wanted to go up there for the full six date fights that that might be a little steep, but if it's
1: only a one to two times, pay him pay the man his money yeah i, I definitely think it it's worth it, which when they announced uh Dean McCormick for Anthony Johnson, one of the big things that jump out to me immediately is they did not announce that fight as the main event of u f c two o six so that was should have been the sign to everyone. That obviously they're talking George St. Pierre to, yep. to headline that card, and we'll see what happens there. But of course, you know, this past week it was UFC 204. I actually watched uh, the fight card with, with a, a friend of mine, and uh, you know, as we were talking about you know various things, I, I think one of the, the subjects we probably talked about the most, Sam, was Jose Aldo and everything that's going on there. And one of the things I will say about Jose Aldo, if his heart is truly not in this, he shouldn't fight anymore.
2: Not only that, but for him to say that, you know, Conor McGregor runs the UFC and he can't work for Conor McGregor. Well, of course, Conor McGregor has a large impact on the decision making of the UFC. He's Conor McGregor. He's generated a ridiculous amount Mm -hmm. of revenue for that company. And I would think and I hope that anyone that is that impactful on the revenue of the company that, uh, that they work for, that they're responsible for that much money coming in to, to the company, I would hope they would have a say in what they do and the next steps in their career. And for Jose Aldo to expect Conor McGregor to fall in line and be at the same level as Jose Aldo, that is ridiculous it's not rational thinking, and a lot of what Jose Aldo is saying is just simply not rational. He has no leg to stand on. You you, you were scheduled for a fight against Conor McGregor. You couldn't make the fight. You withdrew. The fight finally happened, and you got knocked out in eight seconds. You did not make enough of an accounting for yourself to justify the the, the that, that entitlement that he has towards that rematch. You know, it, 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 what's... What makes him entitled to fight Conor McGregor next? If Conor McGregor doesn't want to fight him, then he doesn't want to fight him. If it's about the title, then, you know, I guess at that point, maybe Dana White should just say the interim title is now the main title and and just strip Conor and tell Conor as soon as you want to go back to 145, you could fight Aldo.
1: I just think we're never going to see Conor at 145. I I just think that's never going to happen. And I don't think we're going to ever
2: see him fight Jose Aldo again. I don't think that's on his agenda. I don't think that fight makes sense. He just made massive amounts of money. With Nate Diaz, he's going to do a ton of money again now with Eddie Alvarez. Now Nick Diaz is calling Conor McGregor out. There's so many big money fights left for Conor McGregor on the table. Jose Aldo is at the bottom of that list. It doesn't make sense for him to go down, cut all that weight to go to 45 and take a hit and pay. He would have to take a pay cut at this point right now to fight Jose Aldo. And Jose Aldo can't expect him to do that.
1: Well, the thing with Jose Aldo is he's not a needle mover. Yes, he is a great fighter. He's, you know, he's one of the best fighters in the world, no question about it. But the fact is he doesn't promote a fight. Let's just be honest about it. You know, when Jose Aldo is fighting, go find me these interviews he's doing to help promote his fight. And, you know, he's not, you know, he's not a guy that, you know, pushes that where everyone's interested in a fight. I mean, you look at Conor McGregor, you know, Outside of Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey, they're the only two fighters in the game that bring in a totally different audience. And I I get the frustration Jose Aldo has, but at the end of the day, you got knocked out in, what, 13 seconds? I thought it was
2: less than that. I thought it was less than that.
1: I mean, we we all know it was really quick, but it's one of those things that for Conor McGregor, what is the what is the reason to have a rematch with with Jose Aldo when, you know, you look at obviously headlining MSG looking to become a, you know, a two-division champion. You mentioned about uh, a Nick Diaz fight. I mean, everyone in the UFC wants to fight Conor McGregor because it's Red Panty Night. They all know it is the biggest payday you can get because at the end of the day, this is prize fighting. It's about making the most money you can so you want to fight you know, someone like Conor McGregor, I mean, you look at Dominic Cruz talking about uh, Conor McGregor. It's it's a fight everyone wants because it's the biggest money fight out there for anyone. And, and I, I listen to Jose Aldo's comments and, you know, I can I understand his frustration, but... You know, if his heart's not in this game, and you know, if you have one foot out the the cage, one foot in, I just don't think that second foot should be coming in the cage. You should you should uh, decide to kind of part ways. I mean, I don't see WME just releasing him from his contract because they would probably be no. concerned that he would just walk across the Bellator.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if the grass necessarily would be greener on the other side for him at Bellator because at one forty five. He's going to have to fight guys like Patricio Pitbull. And I don't know at this stage of his career if if Jose Aldo can beat Patricio Pitbull. Well, I mean, and, and if you're Bellator, what is Jose Aldo worth to you? He's not worth Ben Henderson money. He's not worth Rory McDonald money. I don't even think he's worth Matt Mitrione money.
1: Because you can't put him on these interviews that you put, you know, fighters that can speak English. Let's, let's just call it what it is. And and that, to me, is I give a, a lot of credit to a lot of these Brazilian MMA fighters that have, have done what they can do to learn English. You look at uh, Junior Dos Santos. I remember interviewing Junior Dos Santos when he was just learning to speak English and you know he had taught you know he talked to me about why he did this uh you know y- you look at other Brazilian fighters Leoto Machida has done other ones because Anderson un- Silva
2: even and, yeah reluctantly the, but he, he's you know he speaks the language
1: but they understand this is you know if for you to to become a you know to make more money you got to be able to communicate with that American audience you can't be have, you can't do it through a translator <laughs> I I look at I mean the only advantage I would see of why Bellator would maybe want to bring in Jose Aldo, kind of a, a, an old pro wrestling thing, is basically he throws a UFC belt in a dumpster on their broadcast. I mean, that's that would be really the only reason you would you would bring him over. I mean, you know, I had people say, "Oh, Bellator pay you know Jose Aldo half a million dollars." I go, "You are crazy." Yeah, they're not paying Jose Aldo half a million dollars because the guy was not somebody that on pay per view drew. You know, go back and look at his pay per view buy rates; they weren't good. You know. Could he make and, se- and look he- at all the big signings
2: Bellator's made under this Scott Coker regime? All the big, big signings, to my knowledge, they've all been English speakers.
1: Yes, no, 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 totally, they, they've all been English speakers. By the way, uh, as I reported late last week, Brand Halsley, Emmanuel Newton, cut by Bellator. Not shocked by the Emmanuel Newton one; he's dropped four or five. He just lost a fight over in Russia, uh, outside of the promotion. But the Brand Halsley one, I was surprised. Uh, yes, he's lost back-to-back fights both via stoppage, but with how little depth there is uh, at Bellator 185, it's a move I don't understand. If I was Ray Sefo in the World Series of Fighting, I would jump on Brian Brandon Halsey in because they need challengers for David Branch. That's probably what is going to end up
2: happening. I think it's not a big surprise if you know the machinations of the whole situation. Brandon Halsey does not have the reputation for being the easiest guy to, be, uh, to deal with. Couple that with the fact that he is not a prototypical Scott Coker fighter. He is a wrestler, a Mm wrestling-based fighter who is not always an action fighter. His fights at times, if they go past a couple minutes, can be a little on the boring side, a little on the slow side, and that's not what Scott Coker likes. And so you you combine you know boring fighter with potentially difficult to deal with behind the scenes, and when you lose two fights, you're going to get cut.
1: Yeah, it's uh, but but 185. I mean, it's it's one of those divisions that y- you look at that. I mean, they're going with Rafael Carvalho, Melvin Manhoff, too.
2: They shouldn't even have an 85 division. Just get just get rid of it.
1: I mean, it's so bad. It's so bad. Maybe make I a mean, 177
2: pound division. I
1: mean, I understand why they're going with that rematch. I get it with with you know how the judging was in that first fight. But it's just like, oh man, that that's not. in it's probably going to be a fight that's going to be over Italy, so it's probably going to air on, on tape delay. Anyway, um, not a fight that's going to have me sitting home waiting to see what what happens on tape delay.
2: Yeah, they don't have anything in 85. And what have they done in the two years, two plus years that Scott Coker has been there to really address this 85 issue?
1: I mean, Ed Ruth is is a 185er, but you're a long way away from that. You know, we yeah. we don't know what Ed, Ed Ruth can do, and you know until we see him actually, you know, in a in a fight, you know, to see. I mean, obviously the uh the the ceiling is super high for him, just like it is for a lot of these wrestlers that Bellator has signed over the last year or so. But until they actually step in the cage, we don't know how good they are. And when you're in that situation, the situation that Bellator
2: is in right now with 85, you've got to go into rebuild mode. You've got to be in the bidding process for every top unsigned prospect at 85. You've got to get in there. You've got to compete, and you've got to sign four or five of them and rebuild your division that way. Thus far, Bellator has done almost nothing to address their issues at 185. And if you're not going to take it seriously, if you're not going to try to build that division up, why even have it?
1: Yeah. I, I... I don't know. I mean, it's just it's one of those, those head-scratching moves. But to go back to Jose Aldo, a word that we use is leverage. What's Jose Aldo's leverage in all this? None. None.
2: I mean, it, you know, his only leverage is that he's disgruntled. He's going very public. And if WME was sensitive to, to, towards getting negative comments about how they're running their company in public, you know, and they they're used,
1: to, let's be honest saying they're used to this stuff, right?
2: So it's, it, he has no angle here. It, it's dumb. He's hurting himself. He's going to make himself an enemy of the UFC. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at Chris Jericho and Monday Night Raw. He's got his list. Well, are Emanuel, He's got probably has a list too. And
1: Josie Aldo's on it. Yeah. It's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Of course, uh, UFC 204 this past weekend. I thought Dan Henderson won. I had it three rounds. to Really? Uh yeah, I scored the I scored the uh, first, second, and fifth for Dan Henderson. I, I don't. It's not a robbery to me. It's I have no problems if it's you have it forty eight forty seven. The forty nine forty six card for Michael Bisping, I think, is an awful card. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, it, I, it's just you know, uh, I mean, Dan Henderson. Let's be honest about it. He was probably. Seconds away in in that first or second round of potentially being uh, the UFC champion. I did I did love the post fight interview by Michael Bisping. Took advantage of that opportunity. Um, you know it, it's it's a really interesting time at 185 for for the UFC. They've got some big uh, 185 uh, pound matchups. Uh, coming up, uh, we did get a couple questions on UFC 204. Uh, one was about basically the start time, um, you know, saying how it likely did not do great pay per view numbers. Uh, the preliminary card uh, did not do, you know, it drew uh, a little over 600,000 uh, average viewers. Asking if we thought the UFC dropped the ball by not having it in primetime in the UK, where, you know, then hardcore fans, uh, you know, don't have to stay up till 5 a.m. Um, you know, to me, I, I, at the end of the day, this is a prime example of, at the end of the day, the pay-per-view market in the U.S. outweighs everything else. Yes. yes. And, and uh, you know, look, I commend all those U.K. fans. I mean, I was thinking about this. Is is that the first UFC pay-per-view that uh, likely did not have alcohol sales once the main card started? I'm guessing they had uh, to cut off alcohol sales in the arena by the time the main card started, right? It would be like 3 a.m. You don't know that. I don't know that but yeah, I, would, I, would. Nah,
2: I I I think every country is obviously different but then every you know municipality is going to be different as well with their alcohol rules. I know that there's a big event here in Philadelphia called the Wing Bowl. They do it every year right before the Super Bowl. It's a chicken wing eating contest and it's done by a local morning state lo- local radio station here. It's a, a morning team that's kind of curated the Wing Bowl. And it starts at 5 a.m. And I remember attending the event one year at 5 a.m. And alcohol was being served. Wow, that's crazy. I may even had a uh, may even drank a <laughs> few of them too.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, also a it's 5 a.m. somewhere. <laughs> it is, it is. It's 5 a.m.
2: here. It's 5, some, 5 p.m. somewhere else. So. Uh,
1: another uh, comment that we got on UFC 204 was about Mirsad Bektik. Of course, that was his first fight since May of last year. Gets a win against Russell Doan. And this comes from uh, Kevin Nicholson, who on Twitter is, is at MMA Injury. And he said this. He goes, good to see Mirsad Bektik take time needed after ACL surgery instead of rushing. He looked good. Uh, against a short notice opponent, he said he did not seem hesitant with movements that would stress the ACL, indicative of a good, complete rehab. And uh, you know, Miroslav Bektic obviously he had, he had had some, you know, obviously the ACL injury. But you know, I think that's one of the things that uh, you know, I understand for fighters obviously to get paid you got to fight, but uh, sometimes it is smart to sit back and take extra time to make sure you're completely ready to go.
2: Yeah, if you come back too soon, if you don't let injuries heal heal properly, if you don't rehab properly, you could cut off years of your career. And not only that, the years that you do have left, a limited amount of time, you're not going to be able to fight to your top optimum peak level. And Mursad Bektik is an incredible prospect. He is someone that I have felt has had championship potential at 145 for quite some time, still very young, still a couple years away from fighting at a championship level. But as long as he keeps progressing, you know, Keep that name, you know, in mind. He is going to be a future world champion at 145 pounds. Mark my words.
1: Yeah, he, he's definitely. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a couple of prospects there at 145 that have me interested. Yair Rodriguez is one of them. Brian Ortega, uh, Duho Choi is someone else to watch there at 145 pounds. But there's been some other things that have happened uh, since we we've done uh, our last show together. Uh, kids MMA in Russia. Oh. I. I could not believe when I, I believe it was Kareem Zidane that kind of put this out there. I couldn't believe what is happening over there. What does it say about your
2: culture when you're putting two eight-year-old children into a cage or ring together in a full combative fight? What does that say about your culture? To me, it's, it's savage behavior. It's disgusting. And I respect cultural differences and, and, and whatnot, but at a certain point, you've got to say that's disgusting. That's wrong, and, that, yeah. and it's wrong.
1: It's wrong. I, I completely agree with everything you said there. I, I, it's one of those things of where is the parents in this situation? Because I, I thought this was—I I was listening to Line of May and it was kind of there was a question that got brought up to those guys about, you know, when should you start your child in certain things, wrestling. Uh, Jiu Jitsu, whatnot, and what would you say to that? Because I, you know, I, I hear some you know people that say, "Oh, I'm thinking about getting my 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 son or daughter in Jiu Jitsu," and, and I just don't know what is the appropriate age.
2: I mean, I got my son started pretty early in Jiu Jitsu. He was about five, and he, he wrestles now, and. You know, it's it was never intended for him to go out and one day become a professional fighter. It was to learn the discipline, to learn a self-defense martial art, to learn the honor uh, that goes with it. You know that it, it was, and you know, to build up self-esteem. It was to teach him life lessons. It wasn't necessarily so that he could use that skill and, and get into fights and, and then eventually become a professional fighter. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm a huge proponent of martial arts in the life lessons that martial arts teaches. And I would say you could start a kid as young as, as three years old. I, you know, I, I've been to a number of kids classes and I've seen toddlers out there, you know, rolling around and, you know, they, they they're expected to honor the, the mat just the same way as an adult would, you know, they have to bow to the, they have to bow, you know, on the mat, they, they, they can't talk during the actual instruction uh, you know, and if they do, there's consequences. They have to run a couple laps or do push-ups and things like that. And I, I think that there's really, you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with a two-year-old or three-year-old starting those classes and, and learning the beauty of martial arts and a lot of the honor that comes with it. As long as you're taking them to the right program, you know, I, I'm very blessed to live in an area in Philadelphia where we have martial artists, true martial artists. We don't have guys in their garage or in a little dumpy warehouse that, you know, oh, I, I train UFC, I watch UFC, I can teach it. These are guys like Jared Weiner, the Migler-Reese brothers, uh, Brad Datis, uh, you know, Will Martinez. These are guys that have been training in martial arts since a very young age, and they teach martial arts the right way. They're not only teaching the actual, you know, combat and self-defense technique, they're teaching the honor and the, the, the moral code that goes with it. And you know there's a lot of places that aren't doing that. And if you, you should definitely walk in and monitor how the instructor's interacting with, with his or her students. And if, if it's not something that you feel comfortable with, absolutely. You do not want to put your kid in a program like that. You don't want to send your kid to the Cobra Kai dojo from Karate Kid. That's not what you want. You want to send them to Mr. Miyagi. So go in there, you know, observe, watch. And if it's a clean program that's on the up and up, absolutely. You can start your kid there at a very young age.
1: Yeah, it's but uh, I just uh, I could not believe what was going on there, and, and uh, I just was just bad. It's disgusting. Yeah, just was... you know, it's
2: one thing to have your kids train. I don't think there's anything wrong with training at that age, but to actually put them in full contact fights
1: is is disgusting. These are children. Yeah. Yeah, I I, 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 everything you said, they are totally agree. Discussing what I saw there, I uh, also want to mention about what happened uh, a couple weeks ago back in Portland uh, at the UFC show where Alex Oliveira misses weight by five and a half pounds. Will Brooks uh, ends up taking the fight, and, and on fight night, it looked like two guys in two different weight classes. And you know, it, it makes me wonder: is what is a solution when fighters miss weight? And, and obviously, there is a big difference. Uh, Like when John Lineker missed weight by half a pound as opposed to Alex Oliveira missing weight by five pounds. And and Joe Warner was talking about on his podcast of what he thought was doing it. And I kind of like what he said. You miss weight, you forfeit your win bonus. That's definitely one way to approach
2: it. But I think that it should be done incrementally and the penalty should be based on a half pound basis. The big issue that I have is say that Alex Oliveira, say if he only missed by half a pound. Well, his fine, the amount that he forfeited, is the same as when he missed by five pounds. That doesn't make sense. Five pounds is a major, massive miss. Uh, and Will Brooks, you know, you know, recently married, has a young daughter. He can't afford to just say, you know what, you're five pounds over. I you're making no attempt to cut the weight, no fight, because then he loses out. He loses out and potentially winning a win bonus. And to just say you're capped at 20% when you're as much as five pounds over, that's ridiculous. If you're going to be that much over and you have a willing game opponent that's willing to take that fight, they should get more than 20% of your purse. So tie it to an incremental basis based on the amount that you weigh instead of just a flat tax i mean that 's what it is it 's a flat tax if you 're going to be a half pound over you might as well be ten pounds over i mean ten pounds is a little little large and a commission may prevent you from uh, doing that because there 's such a great disparity but you know what 's the difference between being a half pound off and, and four and a half pounds or five pounds there really isn 't you know if you 're not going to make weight, might as well get that four or five p- extra pounds in there and stop cutting early into the day if you know you can 't go the distance there so I think that uh, in the situation that Will Brooks was in, uh, you know, I guess my, what I believe is similar to what Joe Warren believes that he should have been entitled to even more money than just 20%. That's not enough when a fighter's five pounds over and it's behaving the way that Cowboy Oliveira was. And basically, he punted. He yeah. punted. When you're, that, when you're that far overweight and you're not cutting up to the very last minute, that means you, you've punted. And there, there has to be more severe consequences for that. And then for Alex Oliveira to, to claim that Will Brooks disrespected him and, and that's why he did what he did after the fight, that's that's a joke. That's another joke. We've talked about many jokes, uh, you know, things that we think are a joke on this show. That's another one. Add that to the list.
1: Yeah, I mean, to sit there and, and right when that happened, I was like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, dude, you miss weight by five and a half pounds. And also, he weighed in 20 minutes into that process. So. So he could have sat there and cut weight for at least another 90 minutes to prove that he just did not quit on making his weight. That's was... the type of crap you see at a regional show where a guy shows up, tells his
2: opponent, yeah, I'm not making weight. And the, the opponent says, all right, I'm willing to take the fight, but you need to keep cutting. And the guy goes, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to cut. It's up to you. Either you take the fight you know, as it is or, or none of us get paid. That's, that's a regional Bush League move. And it shouldn't be happening at the UFC level. The UFC shouldn't have allowed that. They should have gone to Will Brooks and said, "Hey, this is this is a huge weight disparity. The UFC could afford to say, Will Brooks, hey Will, you don't have to take this fight. We're going to give you the we're going to give you the show purse, and you know what? We're going to give you the win bonus. We're still going to save money at the end of the day because now we're not paying Alex Oliveira anything."
1: Yeah, it's just clearly something has to be done. I'll never forget when I was at the the World Series of Fighting uh, weigh-ins. For an event that was here in Tampa, when it was going to be headlined by Justin Gaethje and Melvin Gillard. Melvin missed weight, and Gaethje's camp said, "All right, we'll take the fight, fifty percent fine." And Melvin accepted, which I, I remember Ray Sefo comes out and he tells me, and I go, "I go, hold on, you just tell me a fifty percent fine." He goes, "Yeah, Gaethje's camp asked for fifty percent of his his purse, and he said yes." I was like, "Whoa, you know you well, yeah, because that that once you're once." A fighter's missed
2: weight. That contract, you know, at least in my, from my perspective, because I've dealt with it a lot when I was at Bellator. That contract's null and void. And yes, the contract says twenty percent, but that to me is a very negotiable number. That's open ended because it's it's laid out in a contract that's no longer valid. It's been invalidated by the fighter missing weight. So a fighter that was the aggrieved party that made weight but was scheduled to fight someone that had made weight, they would, ask, they would always ask me, oh, so I get 20%? I go, that's up to you. I go, I, I can't tell you what, what to do. And they go, well, what do you mean? I go, well, if, if, if it's going to take more than 20% for you to do this fight, you, you, you can tell your opponent that. I can't stop you from doing that. And they would always thank me, and they would walk over, and they'd say, yeah, 20% is not good enough. You didn't cut. I saw you here standing here for 45 minutes not doing anything. I, you know, I want 30%.
1: Every time I, w- I went to cover a Bellator event, I- I'd show up at the weigh-ins and I'd go find uh, one of the PR people and I would go, so anyone uh, off weight? Because it was usually, that was the biggest you know, question going into a Bellator weigh-in was. Now, I would let the
2: fighters negotiate. You know, I, I wouldn't dictate. Uh, you know, Just the same way, I wouldn't tell a fighter, hey, you know what, you missed weight by three pounds, now you have to pay 30%. I wasn't going to tell the other guy who was on weight, hey, you're limited to 20%. You have to take this 20%. I, 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 I tried to be a mediator. I never tried to dictate terms. I always told the fighter that had made weight. I go, you tell you tell me, and I'll tell the, the other camp what it's going to take for you to take the, to accept this fight under these new conditions.
1: You, you hope that maybe something does change uh, going forward here with UFC in in particular. Because, you know, I mentioned John Lineker missing weight, but John Lineker did not weigh in to literally – Twenty seconds left in, in in the weigh-in window, so he was trying to get down to one thirty-six, and, and that was anyone who's not seen that fight between John Lineker and John Dotson. You got to go find uh, find a way to to catch that fight because that that was a great fight. Lineker uh,
2: saved, probably saved his UFC career with that fight. Oh yeah? know, it, it was one thing for him to continually miss uh, miss weight at one twenty-five, but then to miss weight, even though it was by a small margin, you've gone up to one thirty-five. That's not a good move. But he redeemed himself with that performance in the cage. They're gonna they're gonna overlook that. It looks like he's gonna live to see another day yet again.
1: Yeah, that, that was a great fight between those two one hundred and thirty five pounders. Now we we are going to end the show on, on a sad note. Uh, you know, 2016, we have lost a lot of people uh, in the mixed martial arts community, Sam, and uh, it happened last week. Josh, Saman passed away after being in a coma in uh, a hospital. Uh, I don't think there's been an official cause of, you know, you know obviously there was a lot of speculation out there on Josh, Siman, but, uh, you know, we, we lost, uh, another one. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, what he did in, in the case, but also the, some of the writings that, that he had, um, you know, during his time writing for bloody was always a, an interesting read, but it's just, it's been a bad year for the, the mixed martial arts community.
2: Another big loss, Josh Schumann, it's, uh, you know, touched a lot of different lives in the sport of MMA, very well liked within the MMA community. Just a tragic death. Regardless of what the circumstances may be, someone died before their time, and it's, it's sad, and I feel for him, his family, and his fans. He made a lot of fans within the MMA community, and this has been just a horrible year. In any walk of life, in any industry, in any genre, there are going to be people that you lose during the course of the year. That's the sad reality, but... For this year in MMA, this 12-month period, Kevin Randleman, Mark, the son of Marcus Kowal, probably the most heartbreaking and most tragic out of all these. you know, Marcus Kowal's son was the longtime producer of Bellator. You look at Kimbo Slice, Jordan Parsons, another tragic situation where he was probably hit by an alleged drunken driver. It's just... You know, uh, Ryan Jimmo is is gone as well. You know, just, you look at all of these people that have been, you know, well-known figures in the sport of MMA and big parts of the MMA community, and they're gone. And they've all happened within the course of the year. And, I, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm probably leaving a couple people out. It's just been a crappy, crappy year for the MMA community. And I hope that this string of losses
1: ends. You know, one thing I do want to mention about this um, situation is how it was reported on Sam. You know, um, obviously, I did not um, I did not report anything on it because, A, no one was telling me anything on the record. And, you know, one of the things, and, and I think as a reporter, you learn lessons over the years. And one of the lessons I think that most reporters, if they don't know now, should know is that, Your readers, they don't like these tweets where you're throwing something out there, but you're not really telling them what's going on. Um, And and the other thing that I I think that for a lot of reporters, a a situation of, of why you don't want to report on these type of situations is the Jason Pierre Paul situation. Um, You know, he is suing ESPN and Adam Schefter for putting his medical information out there with, with, you know, HIPAA laws, whatnot. Um, For me, that's why I would never report on something like that uh, unless you have a family member who's going to go on the record and give you a quote about something. Um, But, you know, it's one of those things of the Jason Pierre lawsuit is changing the way uh, situations like this get reported.
2: And Jason, I get it. Uh, you know, I'm human. I see it from the human side. If you're a reporter and you manage to forge a friendship with, with Josh Schumann, I get it. You don't want to – You know, it's, it's too close to home. Some people might say, well, if you're a journalist, you're always a journalist 24 hours a day, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. But it, it, still, that doesn't excuse the way this story was handled by a lot of journalists. Either you report nothing – or you report something significant. You don't go in between. You don't put out these vague, cryptic tweets. You know, I'm reading reporter, tweets from reporters, not fans, but from reporters, people that report from major websites. And they're saying things like, oh, can't get into details, but, you know, Josh Shaman really needs your prayers. Well, what for? You know, like, what, what do you mean? What, what, what is, you're putting out a cliffhanger? You know, somebody's life is in the balance and you're using it as a cliffhanger. And then someone tweeted a picture of Josh Schumann raising his arms. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Is is he okay? Is is that a, you know, triumphant uh, picture that Josh is pulled through here and is going to get a second shot at life here? Or is that your tribute to to Josh Schumann? There was no caption. There's no text, nothing from another MMA reporter. And that's just that's. Bad behavior, that's just wrong, and if you're a journalist, you can't conduct yourself that way. Either you're going to sit on the story completely and just keep it to yourself, and if it's affecting you personally, call some friends, talk about it privately, but don't bring your grief onto social media if you're a reporter unless you're willing to report the story.
1: And I'll flat out say it, and, and some people may get pissed off if I say this. If this was John Jones, Conor McGregor, this story's reported a lot differently. You know, this? it's just it's, you know, you know, we, we all have friends, these industries, but um, but there is, you know, for me, just my own personal, there's because of situation and knowing what HIPAA laws are here in the state of Florida, the only way I would ever report on that is is if I had a family member go, go on public. Of course, uh, Josh's mother did give a statement b- before he had passed about uh, the speculations of it uh, being a, a heroin drug overdose. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what the medical examiner ends up coming out uh, as they were going to perform an autopsy. On Josh Mann. I believe it's on Friday of this week that his funeral is in Tallahassee, Florida. So that is going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the MMA Insiders Podcast. Of course, a lot of great stuff here on this week's show. Of course, you want to subscribe to this show, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Uh, all you got to do is search the MMA Insiders on iTunes. We really do appreciate if you would rate and review this podcast. Anything else you want to mention, Sam, before we get out of here? That's all, man. That's, uh, I
2: got I to got a... Continue my fast. Just began, and uh, my mouth is getting pretty dry here.
1: All right. Of course, you can follow Sam on Twitter, at Sam Kaplan MMA. You can follow myself on Twitter, at Jason underscore Floyd. So once again, this has been the MMA Insider Podcast.
0: Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insider's Podcast on Radio Influence. Radio Influence brings you the best in digital media broadcasting. When it comes to sports, we've got experts like national sports radio host Rich Herrera, the fabulous sports babe, former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy, and former Bellator matchmaker Sam Kaplan. Want a good laugh? Then go on the beach with Pants and Roller Girl, or just LOL with Nancy Alexander. And when it comes to real life, Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger, and Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill, will make you think. When it comes to what you want, Radio Influence has you covered. Find our programming on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.